Today is Monday, January 16, 2023. It's day 738 of the J6 political hostage crisis. I'm Mel Holly, and this is your Justice in Jeopardy update. We are joined today by Nick Alvear, who is the founder of Good Lion Films. Thanks for joining us, Nick. How's it going? It's going very well. Thank you for having me on. How are you? The journey continues day after day. Well, um, why don't you give a little background on yourself for our audience um, about, uh, you know, your life as it was before January 6th? All right. My life before J6, it was a little bit like it is now. Um, it, It did turn upside down about a year before. Um, I lost my job for believing in Trump, actually. Um, I had a few friends at, at this place I worked at who hated when I came out of the out of the Trump closet. And so uh, I lost my job and I was thinking, holy shit, I got a daughter. I, 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 I don't know how I'm going to continue like supporting my family. What's going to happen? So I was on unemployment and uh, I, I watched the film called Fall of the Cabal. And Watching that mo- that series, it hit me real hard because I, uh, I, my mom was molested by her father. So deep down in me, there's this thing that has to fight back. And that triggered it. And thankfully, at this time in my life, just a year before that, uh, I had, maybe it was actually six months, I had gotten in a near-death experience from dr- drunk driving home. Luckily, no police officers or anybody else was involved. It was so late at night that I uh, almost drove off the PCH, the fr- the freeway that's on the uh, West Coast um, near Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. I was driving home and uh, I've never driven drunk before. So I remember getting in the car feeling, feeling like this was a nightmare. It's like, I can't believe you're actually trying this. And um, on a regular day, I'd fall asleep coming home from work. So now I'm a little bit extra further away. So now I'm coming home. Of course, I'm going to fall asleep. Had some alcohol. The craziest thing, though, was that I realized a few days later after surveying where I saw where the whole thing happened, um, I ended up driving home. This is just a weird, bizarre thing. Um, I saw that if I had not swerved, uh, if I had swerved a little sooner, I would have gone off the cliff because there was guardrail that just appeared right there perfectly for me. But if it wasn't, I would have gone off. My daughter would have not had me and I wouldn't have done film and music. Those are the things that came into my mind when I realized it. And then I cried like a baby, realizing like, holy shit, man, I, I need I need to change my life around. And so um, fast forward to watching Fall of the Cabal. Everything's falling apart already. Lost my job. I had that near death experience. Um and then I realized I was making music videos at the time that I could actually use the same format to make these movies, movies that are impactful and wake people up, like Fall of the Cabal. And so I did. I, I did my first film and uh, I put it on YouTube and it got some good feedback. So I made a second one two weeks later and then it got great feedback. So then I made a, a third one and it kept on going until now I've made 51 movies. And When I went to the Capitol, it was about movie number 15 that I was on. And I was livid with the election fraud. And I was uh, determined to to showcase how I saw it as as a fraud. As um, a lot of us watched on 
Newsweek and Right Side Broadcasting, they had for hours a day people coming forth discussing everything they saw that was shady at the voting booths. And so uh, I decided to intertwine that into a film. And at the same time, I made the choice to go to my only first Trump rally. I'd never been to a Trump rally before. And that was the one in D.C. So um, as a filmmaker, I'm there. Uh, I actually found Trump a little bit boring that 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 day. And uh, we all decided to carry on and do our thing and go over and protest in front of the Capitol. And when I got there, I went through the grass, not through the street. So I got there quicker. And so when I got there and I saw people were already going in, I thought there's nothing in me that's telling me not to. I have to go in there. And I brought my cameras. I filmed everything. And that, that was the intention was you're going to film this entire thing. And so I went under the scaffolding like a freaking warrior, like in war. I was like on my body. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, this is we're too packed. There's no way I could get through. There were um, people that would lend out a hand to lift up a lady to get her through all this like packed sardine type um, situation. So I, I thought about this the other day. This was the defining moment that made me uh, that made my charges not so severe, because instead of going right where the tunnel was, where like a lot of the drama went on uh, and the fighting and the broken glass, I went left. And because I went left, I went up, I made it to the top of this, um, what looked like, um, I guess, bleachers. The scaffolding. And, yeah, yeah. That's where I was. Yeah. I was and up I, on that side on the scaffolding. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I remember going like, oh, I have to stop filming. I have to try and do a live because I wanted to go live to show how many people were down there. But it was like from that bird's eye view, it was the most shocking and beautiful thing. And so I had the camera up and I was like, come on, come on, come on. And then I got shot in each leg by rubber bullets. Boom, boom. Like uh, just you, instantly. Were you on the on the front of the scaffolding or were you like over on the side where Gina was? Um, on the front, because I was I was totally away from where she was. That's what really got me in less trouble. Um, yeah. And and so I looked down, I see that cop had shot me and he was, I think, really trying to get me in my privates. But thankfully, something just made sure that I was protected. And uh, after that, I continued recording and I turn around and that's when these, they look like security guards. They didn't look like cops. That's when they like completely just left this door open. They left the door open and for us to just go and open it and walk. <laughs> this was a monumental clip because, because of me hitting record, turning around and not stopping the recording. It shows perfectly that the doors were open and then um, I'm going up the stairs into the rotunda and I show that there's cops behind us that are just letting us come in. And then I show my face. And so me showing my face was key because later on prosecution tried to plant fake evidence, putting a picture saying this is from Nick's phone. And it shows that there's cops in front of him moving people away, insinuating he knows what that what he was doing was wrong. And they sent that discovery to my lawyer and he, uh, like an idiot, sent it to me. He wasn't supposed to send it to me. He was supposed to show me on Zoom. So I got to study it really hard. And I thought, how can they claim that's from my camera? They don't have my footage. So then I looked at my footage and I went through every frame of that monumental shot of me going in. And there's not one time the thing they're claiming. I want to come in and say, look, I've, I see what you guys are doing. And, and everyone else is going to see it, too, because it's not fair. They're making people look way worse than they actually are um, by stupid things like this. So thankfully, I brought that to the, the to the courtroom. The judge immediately just threw it to the side. He didn't even say nothing. 
it's like they're all on that same team and everything i've learned throughout this whole visits through jail and black's law dictionary they're making money off of us every single day that we're in there so there's much benefit um everyone the prosecutor your lawyer uh everyone's making a bunch of money off of your birth bond when you are in jail and you're the center focus and you're signing away your straw man ability for them to bank out on what you've pretty much have in your in your name but anyway I get into the Capitol. I'm under the rotunda and it's gorgeous. It's a little heavy feeling. People are very celebratory. Um, people are injured. People are, uh, there's blood. I see, I, yeah, I saw a little bit of everything. And uh, I've been doing a podcast for some time, smoking weed. I love smoking weed. I, I feel like I'm on the spectrum a bit. And that is what helps me feel normal is smoking weed. And so, I was up there under the rotunda and I smoked a little bowl out of a, a pipe and that was it. I thought, okay, cool. I'm going to tell my family eventually one day I smoked weed at the Capitol. Done deal. This is cool. Hey, can I ask why you're smoking weed in the Capitol today? Then I find seven joints in my fanny pack that I didn't realize I didn't smoke. I, so I smoked everyone out that I could. I was like, you guys smoke weed, you smoke weed, smoke weed. So I just passed a bunch of doobies around. And that's when a guy from the Daily Caller filmed me smoking. What what strain is that? What strain of weed is that? Yes, Pinkberry. And that got 6.7 million views on Twitter. And that video was the one that got me busted because my family saw it and they're like tagging my full name at FBI. Oh, and I was just like, is wow. this really happening? Wait, were they really turning you in? Yeah, my whole family turned me in because they hate Trump with a passion. Uh, it's very, very weird how I grew up with revolutionaries posted on the wall. And now I'm fighting for something equal in its passion. And they're turned off. It's because if you stay in a suit for so long, you, you're going to forget what it tastes like. You know, and and that's they're in the, in the liberal soup. And it's sad. And. Like I saw my little sister at a Target after I got out of jail and she trembled and ran home in fear that I was going to kill her. And I thought, wow. why would you think that? Like, That's I'm so a very loving person, but she she's sipping on that liberal soup. She's like ODing on it. Uh, but but um, yeah, it's sad, man. But being under that rotunda was a very beautiful moment. Um, it was a very weird thing to see everyone thinking we were Antifa the next day. That was like the weirdest moment for me because then I had to defend myself like on a few live streams, which also got me in trouble. Like everything after that I may have said, they used as an excuse that I was a flight risk. And I actually really am grateful that I was there. I wouldn't have done it any other way. Um, I was there fighting for what I believed in. I didn't get anybody hurt. Um, and I did, really didn't think I, what I was doing was wrong. That's the thing. Like, so uh, there was a gentleman who took this to trial, and he's like, "How can you prove that I knew what I was doing was wrong?" And they couldn't. There's no post sign saying you can't come in here. It's against the law. There's nothing like you know. Normally, you can't park here. There's a sign you can't park there. Can't go into that federal building that we pay taxes for. I mean, everyone's going in there. Are we really all going to go to jail? So. Yeah, I ended up going to jail for 45 days. They ended up getting me a month later. Uh, I stayed at my friends in Virginia Beach. I didn't go back home because I thought they'd probably find me. And that was another reason for flight risk. They thought I'd run away. But the whole freaking thing, um, I'm really grateful for jail. That was the 
biggest boot camp of my life. 45 days is nowhere near what the guys are doing now in, in that kind of solitary. But for me, being a fly on the wall and being very socially curious, I, I made it really enjoyable. I, 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 I was at a jail for 30 days where it felt like I was famous because they saw me on the TV. And then before that, they saw the insurrection. And then uh, so there was a little bit of respect and people were curious to know what I knew because I'd been making movies and documentaries, red pilling people. So going through jail was like, I'm going to red pill all of you. It's sort of a social experiment for you. Absolutely. Because trip trip on this, like just before all this happened, I was watching Cash Kelly, the, the uh, street light. And uh, he had a great podcast where he, he would always emphasize don't attack the person, uh, attack the problem. We stand against the corruption, you know, and that's where we get unity from. We all stand for a common good. We don't stand against an idea or we don't stand against somebody because they say, oh, they're a Democrat or they're a Republican. No, if you're good, then you're good. If you're bad, then you're bad. And he would have an open panel with a bunch of people coming on at a time. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that. So I started opening it up and having a lot of people come in. And I just found a good way of speaking to people and finding a groove into somebody so we can get more out of them and, and learn about them. I just took that to jail. And, and I was like, learning about everyone's everything and to the point where I was writing people's entire lives on paper because I wanted to make them a movie because some people were really interesting, really smart people just grew up in on a street with drugs. If they grew up on a street with tools, with hardware, maybe they would have become something else. But the fact that they're growing up with their intelligence on a street where older men are giving young kids drugs to sell, of course, they're going to use that intelligence the only way that they're given. But um, it was a it was a beautiful thing because because trip on this, I found that really helpful to just find myself not down on my situation, but open to explore more of what was going on. So uh, I go through four jails because of one fan. She had a, a partner who had gone through this whole kind of system. They try and trick you up with any kind of contracts or words to where you accidentally keep yourself in there longer and they make more money. So she found that they were trying to do that to me. And because of her, they uh, they they moved me from that jail to D.C. And in that journey was four jails in between or three, three jails, four, four jails total. And when I get to D.C., it was cool. It's it actually the, the jail before D.C., was where I met Jonathan Mellis. And when I got into a huge bay of 60 people, and that's just so, for me, it was like, oh gosh, how am I going to sleep here? Like, this is the loudest thing I've ever seen. Does this ever calm down? It was the scariest jail. It was felt like the most real is that, jail. Was that Grady County? Um, Oklahoma? Northern Neck. Um, uh, it was at the very top of Virginia. Oh, Northern Neck in Warsaw? I don't know if it was Warsaw. Um, just if it's a, if it's the last one in Virginia. Oh, it, maybe Alexandria. Um, I think I Alexandria remember. is the closest one to the DC jail. I don't think it was Alexandria because uh, the name would have stuck. I think it's Northern something. Northern. Well, uh, Northern Neck is in Warsaw, and uh, that that is the absolute worst jail. And uh, we're we're finally getting guys out of there, but that that place is. That's got to be it. it. It felt like. 
a jail from the 80s. Was this is this a, did they tell you uh, did they give you brown brown towels and and tell you you can uh, that uh, um, white stone hang browns do? Oh no, that's it's where Malice was. Neck. Damn, their neck. They, you can't. They uh, so your whites. You know your underwear, socks. You're not you're not allowed to hang those up to dry, even though they don't give you more than the pair you come in with. And uh, their their towels and washcloths are brown. And uh, if you hang up your your whites, the administration will say um, whites don't hang, browns do. You can only yeah, hang your, your brown stuff. And I, when I heard that, I was a like, racist, man. it's awful. It's awful. That place is horrible. And Cash, Cash mm-hmm. Kelly ended up in there when they were transferring him before sentencing. And um, he was the one that, that uh, told us that. I mean, I had heard it before, but not in the whole yeah. sense. So I didn't. I didn't understand that it was like browns do, whites don't. I had just heard that you can't hang up your whites. Mm-hmm. So when Cash called us in the vigil when we were outside Northern Neck one Friday night and he had just gotten in there and he told us this, I was blown away. I couldn't yeah. believe it. It's crazy what they get away with in certain jails where there's heavy prevalence of racism. Yeah, I heard, I heard a lot of stories going through the system. Now to tie Cash into this, um, Going into, oh yeah, getting to meet Jonathan Mellis was a was so cool because I saw him on TV first while I was in jail and I thought, that guy kind of looks like me. He's a J6er. Oh, he looks really scared. Like his eyes looked all big and shocked and I was like, damn. Um, well, I hope I get to meet him. And then they shove us all into a gym and they're like, there's a couple other J6ers. You guys are going to get transferred. Um, you have to wait here in this gym. And I'm like, okay. So we waited in this gym for like five hours and it was uh, four J sixers and this big black BLMer, And uh, it was just almost comedy because of course we're going to start talking about shit. Like, Oh my gosh, J sixers. What's up? How are you? How are you guys? Where have you been? Con air? What the hell? You came from California. Like it was just like meeting best friends that you hadn't met before. And then this guy who's like, all you know black lives matter had to uh pipe in on on certain things so it was entertaining and it was cool to see jonathan because he was like yeah i just i've been making films i'm like i make films i'm like who are you twin and so <laughs> we just had like a, a good bonding moment and then we find out when we get into the bay they're like nah you guys are going to be in solitary so choose your cell and i chose cell 13 and in 15 before i got into my cell there's a guy knocking on 15, 15 or 16 through the window. And he's like, telling me to come here. And I'm like, what's, what's up? He's like, you good? I'm like, I guess so. And I was like, you look familiar. And then, uh, <laughs> and, then uh, and then he's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. And he's like knocking at the guard. He's like, yo, guard. And the tells him to open the door. And, and then this guy's like, yo, man, if you need anything, you let me know. And he turns around and shows me like his grocery store of commissary. <laughs> and, and I was just like, for real, though, anything? I was like, can I have those sardines? He's like for sure and i and then i was like yo wait why do you look familiar what's your name he's all cash and i was like whoa what <laughs> cash <laughs> is like, awesome i love cash <laughs> yeah and i was like bro i was watching you before like i got into this mess and now you're here like who where are the cameras where are the cameras in this story of mine <laughs> what a trip that's great <laughs> he was very nice he called uh, since he had the, the tablet there and everything, he was able to call my family because when you get transferred, no one knows what's going on. You know, yeah, everyone's no, like, it's, it's hard to find you guys when you get transferred all over the place, you know? 
Yeah, that's there's just like a whole inner working of the whole scenario of jail that most people take. They never have the ability to question it or to ask about it. But like most of the times dudes are in sandals in jail, you know, with socks on, you know, like things like that. If you get a pair of shoes in jail, you're it's a status symbol in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like and also like you could fight better if you got shoes, you know, you got (laughs) grip on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. That was the most alarming time, though, was when they slammed that door shut and then you're in solitary and you're like, how am I not going to lose my mind? Like that becomes the thought. It's like, how are you going to be occupied enough to not go crazy, dude? And so books are gold. Like I remember falling in love with books, reading books. I remember falling in love with telling time inside of my cell. Like if it was two o'clock, like if they came and brought food. I'd be like, okay, so what time is it? They say like, it's two. I'd be like, all right. And then I'd find where the shadow was on the ground and put something there so that when next day it hit that, I'd know it's two or something. Oh, wow. So you're like making your own sundial. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> then I'd be like, oh, it's almost, it's almost the end of the day. All right. Then I just got to sleep and then I get more food. Like food and sleep was the only thing that really kept me going. And, and just the desire to get out. And then also connecting to a deeper sense of self, God was uh almost not an it wasn't an option it just it it became mandatory he, so in every jail that you go to there's normally someone who gets to come out of their cell a lot and clean and and kind of be the go to yeah. yeah and that was eric for when uh we got to when i got to the j6 jail okay and he was so loving. He would come around and make sure to check in with everybody with his time that he was supposed to be cleaning. He'd come around and be like, are you okay, man? You need someone to talk to you good? Are you okay? Like he would really make sure. And having just that really filled up my soul. And so, yeah. And having a guy like him to pass around notes, yo, can you ask Cash if I can use his iPad? <laughs> like yeah, I would make, I would make it fun in a way like, like, how can I manifest in jail? Uh, and then I thought, okay, well, they give you food. Maybe you can try and manifest three times the amount of food. And I was like, okay. So I would, so, some mornings I'd get three servings of breakfast just because I wanted it. And I would try and I would just try and do what I normally do when I'm out of jail. It's like, go for things that I don't have that I can achieve. And it kept my spirit alive, but I just can't imagine I only saw the tip of the iceberg of how nasty it got when I was there because we all figured out that we could create our own system of using the tablets on our own, that we didn't need to have the correctional officers tell us when or who, like we figured it out. We'll rotate it every three or four hours and the four of um, iPads or tablets can go to the next four people if they want. So it worked for a day, maybe even two and one correctional officer hated it he just he he banned us from using it for a full day because of our system that we created and he made a big deal out of it like it was very just shocking and i think that's the guy who ends up souring this whole freaking area for the following two years just a bad dude some people with authority if they're already bad eggs, that egg is just going to reek and reek and crack and everyone's going to see you remember, it. Do you remember that officer's name? No, but he was the one that was in more of a lighter green than everyone else. Like it, he looked different. 
in his uh, appearance, his outfit or his, his vest. Angry black dude. That's all, that's all I know. He and he wasn't like Nigerian. This dude was like, you could just tell. Like, yeah, he was probably. A... DC is filled with a lot of Black Lives Matter supportive of that type. To the fact where to the point where I almost got beat up at the jail beforehand because I was speaking too loud. But not as loud as Jonathan. Like when I first got into that jail, everyone was everyone was talking about Jonathan. They're like, wait a sec, you're you're one of them. We just had someone in here like that. And I was like, well, who was it? It's like cowboy hat man. And I was like, mm. oh, I was wearing a cowboy hat, but it wasn't his. And they're like, well, he was saying this, this, and this. And I was like, well, he shouldn't be talking like that, right? Like in here, like that's a little loud. So that I was like, okay, I'm gonna do the opposite. I'm not gonna say shit. But then I started telling everyone conspiracies and there was a group of these black dudes who were yelling at me, fuck Trump. And I was just like, just ignore it, just ignore it. And thankfully that morning they came in and put me in that gym. And then I met the guys and learned about the other two guys I was with who are probably still in there. One of them tried to take his life. One of them tried to take his life when he found out that he was on the list. He tried to go to Switzerland twice. First time couldn't get to the airport on time. Second time the gate closes right in front of him. And then um, he goes home and he slits his wrist. The correct way too. showed us his scars. And that was so sad. And he, he was just hoping that I had footage enough footage that would show him in a, in a light that they weren't showing him in. It's so sad. And now everyone, I don't know if everyone in there, but like the circumstances being in that jail for that long, barely any light who knows what kind of oxygen who knows what kind of food um they you can easily get on medication for depression yeah um, they, they they don't get any sunlight they don't get sunlight i remember the first time getting sunlight in the first 30 days i was they finally said you get rec time i was like what does that mean you get to go outside i'm like wait what it's so like everyone was outside playing basketball and i was just soaking in the sun because it's been too long. It's a very sad situation what they're all going through because a lot of those people, they're good people. There's there's not one. I don't think there's, there's I doubt there's one with ill intent like that wants to murder other people, that wants to damage or hurt people. These are patriots, people who are doing what is happening around the whole world. And the, this world in the United States doesn't want to showcase it. But look at Brazil. Brazil freaking got way inflamed with what was going on there on the 8th. Yeah. And a lot of places are taking the stand, but uh, the powers that be don't want us to realize how powerful we are compared to them. Yeah. yeah. We the people, be the people. That's what Mickey says. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now ever since I've been out, I came out, I didn't have anything, all my equipment. Um, they took all my equipment that I was making movies with. And so almost three weeks later, once I'm out of jail, I'm in Redondo Beach. Um, all my fans helped donate to where I could start making movies again. And so, yeah. And now how did how did you get out? Did you uh, were you in there until your your case came up or? Yeah, we were like um, pulling a few cards that allowed the judge to give me another bond hearing because the first one was in Virginia and uh, that was a magistrate judge. And we pulled some card that pretty much got me to have that opportunity again. This time it was with Judge Cooper and Judge Cooper was 
the coolest I'd say of the only two I experienced, but um, coolest judge in that regard, because he was saying it doesn't matter what kind of movies this kid makes, you know, like freedom of speech. He can he can make any movie he wants so long as it's not inciting violence. But um, let's not look at the movies he makes. Let's look at what happened with him on January 6th. So that is when I thought, thank God, you know, someone with a little bit of sense here in logic, uh, the judge eventually he said, he uh, he's like, well, yeah, you know, um, we'll get you on an ankle monitor for the first year and you, you can can have it that way. And uh, if someone's willing to receive you as a custodian, then yes. And really it came down to one fan who became a friend. And if they hadn't been able to, I'd still be in there. There, there were moments I was still thinking like, wow, like, how am I going to actually well, so get out of here? A, you had a fan step up who's now your friend. Uh, to be custodian of you while you were while you were out on bond. Yeah, and they had a one bedroom. Yeah, and well, I thought it was going to be a romance. So it, it was not a romance. Like when I met her, I was like, no, this can't be a romance. But I'm sleeping in your bed. There's nowhere else to sleep. And so it was kind of like God was there along the whole way in very weird, strange ways that were very hard, very testing. But because of that, I did have the ankle monitor on for a year. And then I had the sentencing and I tried to pull a sovereignty thing. I had someone hit me up on the phone, tell me that he was in jail for 10 years and he learned about sovereignty and got himself out. And I thought, Being well, a sovereign citizen. yeah. And I was yeah. like, I've, I've learned a lot about that since. And I've done some podcasts and, you know, maybe I can pull it off. He's like, you need your birth certificate. I try to get my birth certificate. I try to do all these things in such a short period of time that it stressed me out so much. It was not the right thing to do, but it did delay my sentencing from uh, January to March. And I think that was a good idea because sentencing around the time it was going to be on January 5th, doesn't get sentenced. Um, the, the air of the emotion um, would probably have not been in my, in my favor. So it being in March, well, it was in my favor. And uh, I only, uh, let's see, they they tried to get me back in jail. That's what prosecution wanted really badly. And the judge immediately was saying, look, we can't have them go to jail because then we can't have them on probation. So we'd rather have them on probation. So it was two years probation with uh, 200 hours community service. And I already have 170 hours done. And it's not even been a year. I already paid the fees. So I'm going to petition to get it off. Um, early at, in March and uh, the struggles though along the way like the first lawyer I had when I asked if I could go visit my lady in the UK he said um, well the best thing might be if we say that you got an all expenses paid trip and that um, and, and and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and I was like I don't know I don't want to lie man let's let's just tell him the truth yeah stick with the truth he's like okay Great. fine we'll stick to the truth and then I'm like, all right, good. And then uh, next thing I know, I'm watching Stephen Colbert making fun of me because of that request. That was verbatim. The words that he wanted to lie and say, he did ask the judge. My lawyer asked the judge um, if I could go to the UK because it's a once in a lifetime experience, whatever. Like, it's not what I told him to say. And now somehow Stephen Colbert is making fun of me because of it. And because the doobie smoker, like uh, that guy who tweeted the doobie smoker. Now the doobie smoker is associated with me, which is kind of, I, it's actually perfect. Like, I think I probably smoked the most weed out of anyone I know. 
and and have since I was young. And it's like an integral part of how I edit. It's and it's so so to be at J6 and then to somehow get that title is just weird. It's just weird, bizarre. But yeah, Stephen Colbert's made fun of me. I made a movie about him though. The thing is, I make red pill documentaries documentaries that the prosecution tried to keep me in jail for longer because they thought I was a threat to society. And that's on goodlion.tv. That's basically what I've been doing ever since I've gotten out. It's what I'll keep doing for many years. But um, making movies is primarily where it's at. And so right now we're, I've told my story to a few people and the common thread is that they, they go, what? That's not what I remember seeing on TV. That's not what it was like when I saw it. And that is what I think is going to help get this story more mainstream for others. Because um, certain groups of people who do have connections to bigger distribution companies, they if they can see it, I'm sure... I'm sure the big guys can see it, but if, however I can play a role in setting the story straight is I'm going to take it. And some people might think, Oh, you're going to sell a movie to Netflix. Well, if it serves the greater whole, every single distribution company is going to have a J six movie at some point I was in the HBO movie, but that one, that, that, that was, I was just a little bit in it. Um, this one is really going to hopefully, um, get more of a balance out there. It just depends on if a company like this wants to do it, but that's my purpose right now. And I've, uh, in, in the process, I've created a few side businesses. One is for uh, autistic children and for uh, possibly their parents or anybody you know who wants to detox in a very non-invasive way. It's a topical. Put it under your feet, put it in your belly button. Yeah, that's called Ari, A-R-I-I, uh, AriBrand.com. So I've been keeping busy. It is hard. Um, it's hard. It's hard. You you live in that J6 life every day. So like for me to live in that would, I'd be depressed. You know, how do you handle it? It You know, it, it is a struggle some days. It really is. Um, and uh, when I first started working, you know, closely with, within the J6 community, I mean, I'd, I'd been, I'd been fighting for, for all the J6ers, uh, you know, since, since that day. And, uh, then as I, as I started doing my, my daily podcast and, and, you know, working closely with people inside the community, um, you know, I was, I was warned at the beginning, you, you can't get so personally involved with each of these cases because, and, and I was, I was just, you know, gotta, gotta help this person, gotta help that person, you know, and every case is so important. Every single family, every single, um, political prisoner is so important and they all have their own story. They all have their own cross to bear. And, um, you just kind of have to step back a little bit. Um, and not, not to say that, that I, that I care any less about these people. Um, but you just can't take it all on personally. It, you can't get too emotionally invested or, or it's just going to kill you. I mean, yeah. um, you know, and it doesn't mean that I, that I fight any less or, or, I, or I love these people any less. It's, it's just that, uh, it just, it'll just weigh you down. Um, and that's the only way to, to keep your head above water is, um, is to just keep moving on. Um, it's just what right. you got to do. Yeah, man, I, I, 
I just can't imagine still being in that jail. That thought alone is the craziest for them to still be there. I remember leaving and and I think going to Jonathan's window and I was like, yo, I think I'm going to get out. Like I really, I really think I'm going to get out. And most people were like, no, you're not like, I really do. (laughs) And, And so I remember seeing Jonathan and he hadn't even taken anything out of his bag yet. Like, I think they, there's something, I don't know what it was, but, and I just thought, oh man, like, cause he's very mental. He's, a, he's a very smart guy. So he's probably just like occupying his mind a lot. And just for me to see like, damn, he hasn't even like established his, his stuff here yet. And now two years later, and then hearing the sadness in his voice, I had him on a podcast a couple of times and that's hard. It's, it's hard to hear the people from there. I did a lot of newscasts for, on uh, America's Voice, and I kept them up to speed with my whole thing until the very end. And it was cool to hear that the guys in the jail were able to see those. I don't know how, but but they were they were stoked I got out, despite them thinking I wasn't gonna. But jail, I think the thing that really got me prepared for all of that was I have been into meditation since I was younger. And I've gone on meditation retreats that were very brutal. They're like, you can't look at anybody. You can't talk to anybody. You can't read anything. Um, You're doing 12 hours of sitting a day. It's like being in jail. And I didn't realize it until when I was in jail. I thought, okay, I'm going to turn this into a retreat in my head. This is the only way I'm going to get out of this. And I did. And it did help. Helped a lot. But I'd say like, I'm glad I got to experience all flavors of jail. In the first jail I was at for 30 days, it was like I, I almost cried leaving it because of the bonds I had with certain people in there. And just, it's almost like a, like, a, like a summer camp with guys. And you learn how to make interesting uh, dishes all out of junk food. Like you learn how oh, yeah. to- Yeah, the know. guys in DC are all about that. They, they do like on holidays- they they make all sorts of fancy <laughs> stuff out of all that commissary food. It's it's really amazing. We we've yeah. highlighted their menus before. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Swoles like it's cool how you can use Doritos to make cheese. Like it's just interesting to try and live. Well, you know, and I'll people. tell you that's that's actually a thing. Is that as that there have been guys that have gotten out of some of these jails where there's where there's you know a lot of them. And uh, they kind of they kind of go through this uh, survivor's guilt um, mm-hmm. when they get out, and and uh, you know they couldn't wait to get out, but then when they do, and they maybe they're back with their with their family again, uh, they've gone into a depression because they they have survivor's guilt. They feel bad about leaving those guys behind, and and they they want to go back in. That's a real thing. I think I've been struggling with depression ever since. And PTSD, like if it, someone knocks on the door too loud, I'm already panicking because of the way I was taken. When SWAT came, it was just maybe 730 in the morning. I was making music and it was the most intense, this huge steel thing barricaded open, was trying to break this door down. Wow. Ever since that moment, I can't handle those loud sounds. Sometimes if it's too quiet in a place where I'm sleeping, it's a little disturbing because in jail, it's never quiet. Going to jail, if you're, if you're, I guess, fortunate enough to mingle and to find ways to connect with others, you might build a really good thing there. Like I was, I did a charity because a lot of fans were donating so much money that I thought I'm going to find a way to buy everyone here hot plates. 
And in that jail I was in, I was buying hot plates at a time, 14 of them, which you're not allowed to do. But if you go, hey, man, can I um, use your badge number and then put two hot plates on there? You can have one. But then that dude gets another. They're like, yeah. So I was like, okay. So then I'd do that for a bunch of people. And we would have pizza parties, barbecue uh, parties. It was like to a point one guy was like, Nick, this is crazy. So I, was like, I was like, what? He's like, I, ne- I he's like, I've been to jail a few times, but I never seen no one do this. <laughs> I was like, damn, all right, cool. But it was it was cool. Like I really I think about some of those people every day and I miss them in, in a way that because I I knew if I was in there and I wasn't really a bad guy, that there was a lot of people in there that aren't really bad guys. They're just some, some of them are idiots. Some of them are too good at what they do that not exactly too good because they got in trouble. But uh, yeah, just there were beautiful souls in there. So I, I hope like, one day I get to see these guys again. Yeah, yeah. All of them. The J6ers. I know in oh, five, we're, 10 we're, years. We can't wait for the big reunion when we get everybody out. It's going to be we always talk about it. it's going to be the best party ever. That is going to be the craziest party. It is. It's going to be, I think it's going to be like a week long party. <laughs> we, we, we all need to go storm something, you know, like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like that's, we got to storm Las Vegas or storm a grocery store. We, we got to storm an Airbnb. Uh, yeah, no, we, can storm, a, we can storm a beach. How's that? <laughs> that's Jonathan Mellis and I were, were creating a, a, like a TV series idea for what we get. What we're yeah, he's out. talked about that. He's talked about how how he wants to like travel around and 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 meet all the people and meet all the patriots that like have written to him and and stuff like that. Shane talks oh. about that too. Oh, that's so beautiful! My yeah. gosh, I can only imagine. When do you think everyone's going to be out, out, out? Like in five years, it's all going to be gone. Well, you know, hopefully this will all end at some point. Um, but if it continues on as it as it has, um, I mean, there's, you know, like Guy Reffitt, he got he got seven and a half years. Um, so we've uh, sadly seen some pretty long sentences for, you know, get, basically. Mm-hmm. just for trespassing. They gave him that long. Well, basically, that's what was going on that day, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, I got parading in the Capitol parading yeah. i didn't i didn't know parading. i couldn't parade anywhere i know parading sounds like fun right yeah when does parade well, when who so, it sounds it? like something you'd want to do when you're like four <laughs> you know, how could it be illegal <laughs> let's go right? to a parade. let's parade you know yeah yeah parade. yeah it's crazy um, anyway well nick this has been fun and uh uh thank you for sharing your story and uh you know i'm so sorry that you you've had to go through this it's uh i i'm really glad that you you got out when you did. Um, I mean, that's, that's amazing and fortunate and, um, you know, thank you. God, God was on your side with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure God is definitely on, on everyone, everyone's side included in this, but time is a weird thing. And I'm sure for those guys in there, maybe it doesn't even feel that long and it does at the same time, but it's, I'm sure when they come out, it's going to be like that Phoenix rising. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, God has a plan for for all of those guys and and the guys that are that are still in there, you know, it's for a reason. And uh, I think most of them uh, understand that and have come to terms with it. And it's it's really hard. Uh, but but, you know, they they know they know there's a plan. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And I'm really excited for you to uh, go be there. 
it's gonna be it's gonna be nice yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to to getting the to go visit inside the gulag tomorrow for the for the first day of visitation i'm really looking forward to it so um cool. there's gonna be a lot of a lot of smiles and a lot of tears shed that 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 day for sure uh that's yeah. so good god bless you for doing this oh thanks i i wouldn't be anywhere else right now um so nick where where can everybody find you you can find me on Instagram. That's kind of a place I hang out a lot. That's Good Lion T uh, TV. Good Lion TV. My website where all my films are. Um, that's goodlion.tv. And there's thousands of free other documentaries on there that you can watch. And then I uh, do a show that has four episodes a week. Um, Lion Disclosure. That's also there on goodlion.tv. But yeah, and if you want to reach out and you want to email me, it's nick at goodlion.tv. All right, great. Everybody check him out. Check out his uh, stuff. He's got he's got some uh, some pretty, pretty hot stuff on his website. So on his uh, platform, I guess I should call it. Yeah, yeah, it is a growing platform. It's growing far, far out. It's yeah, I could. Uh, I'm very blessed that I'm doing what I did as a kid for my profession. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing truth and, and fighting for for truth and justice and uh, being a good patriot. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Everybody, this is Tim Rivers from J6 Patriot News, and today we're uh, we're pleased to have on our as our guest a a patriot who's been working in the background and now has suddenly come to the foreground in the last year and a half. Has an incredible podcast um, that I, I really urge all of you to, to tune into called Justice in Jeopardy. I'd like to introduce you to those you don't know her already to Mel Holly. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And you have been in the thick of things in the last uh, week or two, actually, maybe a little longer. You've been up at the D.C. vigil, I understand. Yeah, I work closely with uh, Mickey Whithoff, Ashley's mom and, and Randy Ireland, the founder of Americans for Justice, who who uh, who run the vigil outside the D.C. Gulag. And, and uh, so I get up there when I can, uh, usually on the weekends. And uh, that's quite an amazing experience. Well, yeah, and, and and especially this time of year, I mean, D.C. weather isn't exactly nice. So here in Florida, I got my sweater on today because we're in the 40s and our blood stops working around 45. So, but I mean, it's been cold up there. And yet every night outside, um, these folks are faithfully there for, for our J6ers. And you were there um, for the events of this January 6th, where we unfortunately memorialized our second year of Jan 6 with prisoners still in in the jail and we have, I think, 96 total at the moment. Um, but there were some weird events. I know we started out peacefully. You guys started out at SCOTUS, right? With with a memorial for Ashley? We did. We started out in front of the, the SCOTUS building and uh, that was in support of the Brunson brothers case that, that was uh, going up for, um, and I'm not even sure what the process is to be honest, but I guess they were looking at it to see whether or not they could get, um, a hearing for it. So 
Uh, we were out there in support of that. And uh, of course, right behind us was the Capitol building, but they had the whole Capitol blocked off, even out to uh, out to the street, past the sidewalk. So when we turned around to start the memorial for Ashley and Roseanne Boylan and, and the others that were uh, lost on that day, then, um, you know, there was no way they wouldn't let us in to uh, to go lay flowers, which was our intention, especially for Mickey. So we did approach them and ask, and they said, you can come in if you put down any signs or flags. And at that point, Mickey said, if they won't let me take the American flag up there with me, then then I'm not going to go inside. So we uh, she she said, let's let's process around the Capitol instead. So that's what we did. And we started out toward the street. Um, and at that point, since we couldn't walk on the sidewalk, um, Mickey said, we're, we're going to walk in this first lane. We're going to walk in this one lane. And we said, we'll, we'll leave the other lane open. So we're not blocking traffic at all. And we started walking forward. And at that point, we, we passed a couple of the Capitol police who said, you need to please cross to the other side, um, the sidewalk over there. And uh, I, I asked them why we couldn't walk on the sidewalk that we paid for. And we, we just kept marching and, uh, you know, peacefully and patriotically and in memory of, of Ashley. And we finally got up to a point about halfway down the block or halfway down the street where two of the Capitol Police cars uh, pulled up in front of us, blocked the road. And, and you know, they, they said once again, they got out. And at this point, they were they were not friendly and said, if if you do not cross the street right now to the other sidewalk, uh, you will be arrested. And and basically gave Mickey a choice, said, you know, you can't you can cross or you will be arrested or you can choose to be arrested. And at that point, she set down her belongings, turned around with her hands behind her back. And uh, that's that's when she was arrested. Well, you know, it's interesting. First of all, you're you're not allowed to be in the people's house and it's your house. You're not allowed to go up to the steps and it's your steps. You're not allowed to carry the American flag onto a property. I'm sorry, that's treasonous. Um, and then finally, when you're denied the ability to walk around the perimeter of the Capitol, you're arrested because you refuse to go farther and farther away where your protest is meaningless. This has pretty much become the standard fare in DC. And I wonder, what do you think that that now that we have a new speaker and we have in the House who is responsible and in control of the District of Columbia, complete and total control, I want everybody to understand that, the Speaker of the House is the king of the district. And he basically has control over what happens in the district, what the Capitol Police do, what the District of Columbia administrations do, has a whole lot to do with what the Speaker of the House allows. Do you think any of them are aware of what's been happening right outside the building where they're holding court? You know, it's it's uh, it's hard to tell. Um, and, and we all know that McCarthy has has his ties and, uh, you know, he's that's who we ended up with. So we'll we'll see if, uh, you know, his promises will be kept. But, you know, this when you when you look at it, there's been so much politicization, weaponization, uh, two tiered system of justice going on because you know, they they were given a whole section. Uh, BLM has BLM Plaza, and uh, that was protected by the Capitol Police. 
So, so we'll, it, it'll be interesting to see if there's any changes here because we, we certainly were not blocking the road. I mean, Mickey's charges were um, disobeying an officer, which, uh, no, she was given a choice and, and she made her choice. And uh, they said that we were blocking traffic. Well, the traffic was not blocked until they pulled up in front of us and blocked the whole road. We were only walking in one lane close to the sidewalk as we could. We left a whole lane open for traffic there. And, uh, you know, it wasn't okay. And, and it looked very targeted because I was right there next to her. And I was certainly not being quiet in what I was saying to the police. Um, in in uh, my video of the arrest, which has gone around and been shared on Fox, um, you can hear me you know, uh, saying you're, you, you murdered her daughter in the Capitol and now you're arresting her. And, um, you know, they, they don't care. They, they still seem to be on, on the side of the BLM or Antifa or, you know, just the left in general. And they, and they target us very, very plainly. Yeah, that was clearly targeted. There were plenty of people on that street who were not moving to the sidewalk and yet um, they took the opportunity to, and, you know, I'm going to say it right out. Uh, Mickey is probably the most fearless person, and I and I see the mother instinct, despite the fact that Ashley is not here to protect anymore, the mother instinct that Mickey brings to this entire organizational group that we call J6 supporters is, is um, I don't know, it's so motivating and so binding to all of us because we feel emotionally connected to that loss, um, those of us who see January 6th for what it is. And um, and it's it's the bravery, the refusal to bow um, to this ridiculous authoritarian behavior that that makes such a um, such a lasting impression on those of us who, or some of those who, who have not stepped into the street yet, who still remain in their doors watching their videos and have not spoken out. And and I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take refusal to go along, regardless of the consequence, before we begin to make change in this country. And it's going to take bravery. It's going to take um, people who understand that we, the people, have to be the people in order for this to work. But something else besides this travesty, and I want to say Mickey was let go pretty much quickly, right? But I saw the videos. They cut her hands up pretty badly with the handcuffs. They were rather brutal and pushing her into the car. Um, I mean, all of that was well recorded. But um, I, I think the the end game here is that do we let up? Do we do we allow them to seal off the people's house? Or should there be more people standing out in front, demanding their rights, demanding the access to the people's house and to, the, to the, our legislators within? How can we redress or seek redress if we can't communicate or can't approach the throne? Um, I, I think this is um, this should be a lesson to everybody that you're beginning to lose your voice in this country. Um, yeah, and the absolutely. And and that's that's why Mickey is out there. That's why she started this visual outside the D.C. Gulag. And that's why she's out there every single night that she can be, you know, and has been since August 1st is because she knows that that's where her daughter Ashley would be. And she's taken up, you know, her her march, uh, you know, for truth and justice. And and Mickey is just amazing. She's such a warrior. And the guys inside the D.C. Gulag call her Mama Mickey because she is the mother of this movement. And uh, yeah, I, she says that all the time. She says, we, the people need to be the people. And uh, that, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's going to take to make a change. That's what it's going to take is for people to get out of their houses, take to the streets 
and and start standing up for for what we need to be standing up for. And you know, and if you can't get out, you know, start emailing and and calling our our congressmen because the more they hear from every single person that we want this to end, the more they're going to actually do something. You know, something else really important happened on Friday, Friday the 13th of 2023 on um on the the beginnings of the arrest of everybody who the DOJ thinks was complicit or within the zone on Jan 6. These people have been held incommunicado for all intents and purposes. Yeah, they some of them um, have mail services. Some of them are denied mail. I'll speak of Jeff McKellop, whose all mail is interdicted in and out. Now his phone service has been changed so that he doesn't have access with the calling cards that he has. They attempt to isolate these men, and they've done it effectively. Many of them have not seen their families, their children, their loved one in almost two years. So Friday was a very important day uh, for those of us who are on understanding of the impact on families and friends and supporters of this isolation that uh, almost all of the J6ers have been kept in for stupid reasons. At first they use COVID restrictions and then they use the facilities not set up for that. And then we don't have video conferencing, even though everyone else in the DC jail has video conferencing. <clears throat> so this Friday was the first day of allowed visitation for our January 6 prisoners in the DC Gulag. And I believe you and Kelly were some of the first people to get to go in. And I'd like to ask you about that. How did it go? And um, was it a, was an experience for the prisoners as, as vital as it would be for me if I'd been locked up for two years, not seeing my supporters, not seeing my friends, not seeing my girlfriends. Can you tell us a little bit about your visit and how it went? Yeah, um, it, it was it was pretty amazing. You know, it's something that we've all been waiting for for a long time. And and these guys, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's been like to not even have video visits with family uh, for, you know, up to two years or, or maybe even over two years for some of these guys. So, um you know, we we made we scheduled appointments to uh, yesterday was the first day, uh, Friday, the 13th. And uh, Kelly and I, I picked up Kelly at the airport and we we went in there. She was going to visit her her boyfriend, John Mellis. And uh, so I, I we we wanted to get as many of these guys a visit as possible uh, because some of these families just can't come in from so far away on such short notice, uh, especially with the the high airfare. And, and we're hoping that, uh, you know, there will be funds set up that will assist in that. But in the meantime, um, I got to go see uh, Sean McHugh. And uh, so Kelly and I, you know, we went in. There were several of us in there. We had to wait uh, to be checked in, show our ID. You can't take anything in there with you except the key to the to the locker that, uh, you know, you you put your little quarters in to, to put anything in there. You go in. Um, you know, they took as a female, they they took us into a kind of <laughs> it was like a janitor's closet and uh, had us take off our, our shoes and boots. You know, they shook them out. They they had us we, we had to be patted down um, and then uh, went through, you know, one of the TSA screenings where you where you put your hands up and they scan you and uh, they patted us down before that again and then we went through there and then after we came out they patted us down again they wanded us uh it was it was quite a it was more than the tsa i can tell you that and um you know then we we got to go up and and wait in the room and it was just a big open room and they had lined up chairs so 
they had the chairs down the middle for the detainees and then they had our chairs across from them you know like six feet apart <laughs> you know they're still going on the covid rules and uh, and we had to wear masks we had to wear masks so we could see the guys in the holding cell without their masks on and they were so excited they were about like a bunch of little kids and they're like waving at us and and we were so excited to see us and to see them and then uh they came out sat in their chairs and uh you know it, it was just it was kind of surreal it, it really was and uh you know we got to have an hour-long conversation they were supposed to uh, give two hours to anyone who was coming from out of town, and that's outside the DMV, the the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Uh, but they did not do that, and that is thanks to uh, Kathleen Landerkin, uh, who is a a Trump hater and has said as much on uh, social media. And uh, she is the you know the head of the jail, and uh, wouldn't would not let any of them have more than the the one hour. But it it was. Uh, it was quite a joyous reunion and we we did have to kind of yell to each other through our masks and and across that space but uh yeah it was it was amazing i think that's awesome you know, and i again i want to emphasize all of everybody who's listening almost 2 years without seeing a supporter or a family member in complete isolation only seeing your fellow prisoners and the uh the sadistic guards within the facility um, this was a very seminal event for all of us who are not only J6 supporters, but for all of the men in the D.C. gulag. And we're hoping that this will begin to spread to the other gulags so that people who still held in Northern Neck and people in Lewisburg and places like that will begin to have access to their families and visitation. So this does seem like a crack in the wall, so to speak, of, um, of, the, of the, the hard persecution that is ruled for almost two years now. Well, I, the, I would uh, like to I would like to um, especially thank Representative Troy Nails because he is really the one that made this happen. Uh, he uh, John Mellis and I had spoken on the phone to uh, Congressman Nails and his his main concern was that these guys had not had any visitation. That was the first thing he wanted to know. And uh, he ended up talking to uh, Sarah Maccabee or his his staff did at least um, about what was going on. And so Troy Nels and two of his staff members went in um, a week before, uh, that was January 5th, I believe, they went in there and, and met with the guys. And uh, the next day on January 6th, it was announced that these guys would start having visitation. So he was he was fundamental in making that happen. And I think that's, again, that's a sign of the power of, of, a, of a house that has control and the speaker who has control of the district. Um, you're basically getting the commands. Um, this is how we're going to be doing it here on out. And I hope eventually that works its way into the MPD so that this ridiculous behavior of both Capitol and Metro Police is, is disbanded and the people have access um, not only to their house, but to their representatives once again in a peaceful manner. So I had a visitation um, last Saturday, on the last Sunday rather here in Clearwater with Jeremy Brown. Um, and it wasn't anything like yours. We weren't allowed to be. It was a video visitation and uh, you didn't get the the complete pat down or have to walk there because all you got was a computer screen um, and you were limited to 40 minutes. So you guys actually got longer in person uh, than some of these jails are allowing through video visitation. And it is um, I think it's important for them to have contact with the outside world and for us to have contact with them. So far, it's only been letters. Um, and text messages and an occasional phone call that comes out of here. 
Um, and the letters themselves should be compelling enough to make our congressmen and our representatives want to go and solve this problem inside the district. Um, this, this violation or aberrant behavior against the constitutional rights, just because you're in a federal district or, or, or an enclave, I guess would be the proper way to call it, where all your rights and duties are suspended based upon the whims of local bureaucrats. I don't think so. I don't think that's how our nation's federal capital was ever uh, envisioned by the founding fathers. And it's certainly not how we envision it as citizens of this particular era. So um, that was an amazing story about the visit. And I hope that um, you mentioned about funds that the, the, the American Gulag Chronicles Inc., which is formed uh, from the group that is running the book, the American Gulag Chronicles, wants to be involved in getting families to see their loved ones for the first time in years. Uh, and we're actively discussing ways to do that. And, and uh, if anybody wants to join in, or if you're a family member who's listening and you have not seen your loved one in DC or one of the other jails, I urge you to reach out, let us know, and we'll do our best to reunite you with your loved ones. And um, all the other organizers and, and podcasters and supporters out there that are listening to me, join in. We need to reunite these people with their loved ones as quickly as possible. Mel, it's a great opportunity. Thank you so much for sharing what happened in DC. Um, and I'm just so heartened by some of the changes that we see coming, moving some of these prisoners out of the worst conditions into facilities where they're, they're really supposed to have been kept in the first place in lower security environments in, in open dormitories instead of locked solitary cells. And I hope we get this out uh, for the rest of our prisoners are, are released. Um, it is debated that Mr. McCarthy has the authority to order their release. I don't know if that's true legally or not, but as a king of the district, I guess it's within plausible believability. And so maybe it's time for all of us to begin to really press hard, uh, not only on our new speaker, but on our own representatives to get involved, to step out of the darkness and begin doing something about this travesty uh, of justice and this uh, this basically spitting on our constitutional rights simply because of our political beliefs. I urge everybody um, to take a, take a listen to Justice in Jeopardy shows. They are amazing. She, Mel has some great guests and they're always insightful and always uh, aforjustice.org. Again, a number four, justice.org is a great place to go and, uh, and not only get news, but to help all the folks that are really busting their hump to try and get our January 6th prisoners justice and freedom. And, um, and of course, our own site, j6patriotnews.com, where you'll find the latest information uh, and letters and things from the gulags. We try and keep you updated and give you the latest information. So Mel, thank you so much. I appreciate all the information and thank you for what you do. Um, it is so important for people to step out and to speak up. And you have been doing that so admirably now uh, for such a long time. And, and I just, we really appreciate you and, and um, don't stop, whatever you do, don't stop. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Tim, I appreciate it. And thank you for all you do. And I and I love the fact that uh, you are taking up this uh, this mission to to help fund the families um, getting to see their their loved ones because uh that's a very important mission so uh thanks for having me on and uh everyone can find my justice and jeopardy podcast on uh rumble is the easiest way to find it and you can find that on my rumble channel which is sovereign souls and justice in jeopardy thank you so much for having me on tim thank you mel and thank everybody for listening
Take care, America. If you'd like to help us support J6 families as they're released from jails and prisons, please check out the Elijah Fund. You can find that on our website, a the number four justice.org slash TEF. Americans for Justice Inc. is a nonpartisan alliance that vigorously defends the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and due process across our great nation, which are pivotal to preserving life, liberty, and freedom for all. Too long we have played defense and are losing on all battlefronts through divided efforts. The root problem of election integrity, medical freedom, political prisoners, southern border crisis, CPS and APS and others is one common thing, a direct assault on the U.S. Constitution and due process. Americans for Justice is a nonprofit organization with local chapters in all 50 states, working with lawyers, legal scholars, and organizations to actively fight government overreach at all levels. Unite with us in the fight for our J6 political hostages and whatever else due process rights are violated. We ask for your support in this vital mission through a one-time donation or an ongoing membership. Go to the letter A, the number 4, justice.org.